as we continue through our study of Luke's gospel and particularly through uh, the narratives regarding Jesus's birth. And we come to chapter one, verse 39, reading through verse 56. This is God's word. Luke writes, Now in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray again as we seek him and seek to learn from his word. O Lord, our God, we thank you for the scriptures. Would you give us a hunger for the scriptures? Would you fill us with joy? Would you make us a grateful people of praise? Oh Lord, we thank you for Mary. We thank you, O oh Lord, for Elizabeth. We thank you for John, for the way that they teach us how we ought to respond to your coming. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be our teacher now by your Holy Spirit. We ask in your name. Amen. When we moved here back in 2014 from Cookville, Tennessee, uh, there were two of our favorite stores in Cookville uh, that we knew were not going to be here in the Jackson area, Jersey Mike's and Aldi. Uh, There was also uh, a store uh, that wasn't in Cookville that we were sure would be in the Jackson area, but it wasn't, Chipotle. Now, in the last three or the last year, We have had good news, haven't we, for the Cangelosi household, right? Because Jersey Mike's, right before COVID hit, opened on Highway 51. This year, right, it was announced that Aldi has purchased land and has arranged for the city to to build out in Flowood. And Chipotle is being built, not only on county line, right, but a second location over uh, over by the Renaissance, right? So there is rejoicing in our household. Why? Because when you long for something and you want something to come and you hope it'll be here and finally it arrives, finally there is the announcement that it is coming. You're excited, you're thrilled, you're, you're filled with joy. Your response 
is appropriate to that longing and that desire. Now, if you have no hunger for Jersey Mike's, you have no desire for cheap groceries, right? You have no, no longing for Chipotle, then you could care less if Jersey Mike's or Aldi or Chipotle arrived in the Jackson metro area. Your response is one of utter apathy or indifference. And, and that same dynamic that we respond based on our prior longings, our, our prior affection. If, if something has won the affection of our heart, it has won the, the longing, the desire of our soul, that's how we respond. That same dynamic is, is operative here in our story, and it's operative even here this morning as we think about our response to the coming of Jesus. In the past few weeks, we've been looking at the birth announcements of Jesus the Christ, the King of Kings, who sits on the throne of David, as well as his forerunner, John. And how you respond to these announcements, right, even though they happened some 2,000 years ago, depends on whether you desire Christ or not, whether you long for him and, and hope for him or not. Has he conquered the affections of your heart? That's the question. In our text this morning, we see the response of those who have been longing for the Messiah to arrive, longing for Jesus to come, though they didn't know his name would be Jesus, did they? Their hearts had been conquered by God's grace, and, and so they were filled with faith. And as we read this text, we can work backwards in a sort of where there's smoke, there's fire way, right? By, by comparing our response to that of the virgin yet pregnant Mary, the aged yet pregnant Elizabeth, and the unborn John, as we compare our response to theirs, we can test the desire of our hearts for the Lord Christ. We can see if the fruit of saving faith is growing in our hearts. So what is the response of the believing heart? Well, well first, we see that the announcement of Jesus' birth will fill believers with joy, with joy. The angel Gabriel had told Mary that Elizabeth had become pregnant in her old age. She was in the sixth month of her pregnancy. And so right after Gabriel departs, the text tells us that Mary went with haste to travel this probably 50 to 100 mile journey from Nazareth in the north down to, to Judah southward, probably a three or four day trip. And we don't know any details about how she got there, if she went with anybody, none of that. Luke doesn't, doesn't bother to tell us any of that. But, but surely she went to see Elizabeth that she might fellowship with someone who had also had a miraculous pregnancy, right? Someone that she should, could share this good news of an angel appearing to her and telling her that she was going to, to be pregnant without any sort of human interaction. She goes to Zechariah's home and Luke tells us that when she greets Elizabeth, as soon as, soon as she greets Elizabeth, her son, John, Elizabeth's son, John, within her, begins to accomplish his prophetic work of preparing the way for the Lord Jesus. Luke tells us in verse 41 that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby within her leaped, leaped. Now, it's normal for a six-month-old baby in utero to, to move around, but, but clearly this movement wasn't normal, was it? It was abnormal. It was supernatural, we might say. Even in the womb, John is filled with the Holy Spirit. 
He is rejoicing, the text tells us. Elizabeth, filled with the Spirit herself, was enabled to, to discern, to understand the, the meaning of John's cartwheels within her, as well as the fact that, that before her wasn't just Mary, but a second person as well, inside of Mary. Mary and her unborn son. And so she explains in verse 44, that when the sound of your greeting, Mary, came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped. Now notice, the text says leaped for joy, for joy. Even before John is born, as the forerunner of the Messiah, he is rejoicing and he is preparing others for the joy that ought to have been theirs at the coming of Christ. See, it's not just John who rejoices. Elizabeth's tone is filled with wonder, filled with joyful wonder. She exclaims to Mary with a loud cry, blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it granted to me? that the mother of my Lord should come to me. The, the, the sheer joy and thrill that she would have this privilege overflows in her words. And then you notice in verse 47 the, that Mary's song of praise to God is a joyful song. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. The coming of Christ into the world filled these saints with joy, joy in the Lord, joy in the Holy Spirit. And if you're a believer this morning, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ, then this story, the, these stories of Jesus's birth, this gospel story of God sending his son into the world, it should fill your heart with joy as well. With Mary, you too should rejoice in God, your savior. You see, Mary's joy was grounded in the fact that, that she knew that through this gift growing inside of her, God was accomplishing his salvation, his salvation for her, his salvation for all who would look to that child in faith. This true story of the incarnation of the son of God, it's a story of salvation, a story of rescue from sin and from misery. John Calvin puts it so plainly. He says, till God has been recognized as savior, the minds of men are not free to indulge in true and full joy, but will remain in doubt and anxiety. It is God's fatherly kindness alone, he writes, and the salvation flowing from it that fill the soul with joy. The response of the believer's heart is joy, but let's be careful not to confuse joy with, with mere pleasure or happiness. Right? Happiness is contingent on circumstances. It's a fleeting feeling. Joy is permanent, a permanent buoyancy, we might say, in the midst of a raging sea. It's founded on the permanent realities of, of who God is and what he has done for us in Jesus Christ. And therefore, it doesn't depend on how our day might have gone. That also means that we, we must not make the error of thinking that sorrow is the opposite of joy. No, despair and hopelessness are the opposites of joy. Joy is a buoyancy that can coexist with sorrow. And we see this later on in Luke's gospel when, when Jesus uses this same verb that, that's used here for leap. He uses it in chapter six in this sentence. Listen to this. Blessed are you when men hate you, and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man, be glad in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. Now, being hated 
and ostracized and scorned and insulted and rejected, that's not a happy thing, is it? It's a grievous thing. It's a sad thing. And yet, in the midst of that sorrow and sadness, Jesus commands us to leap for joy, to rejoice. Why? Because he knows that God has already established our salvation in him. Joy coexists with sorrow and ultimately joy overwhelms sorrow. The way that the furnace in your home overwhelms the cold air that might fill a room, it overwhelms it with heat and drives the cold air out. How does Peter put it? In this salvation, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Brothers and sisters, do you rejoice at the news, the announcement of the birth of of Jesus Christ? Are you moved at all? Or is your heart indifferent? Is it it cold and and joyless and apathetic? As your pastor, Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 1, I am a worker for your joy. That is why I'm your pastor. That is why we are your pastors. We desire you to rejoice in the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus this morning, we want you to enter into this joy, the joy of John and Elizabeth and Mary, the joy of the Lord that will be your strength. But you can only know that joy if you have put your trust, your faith in Jesus Christ. So that's the first response that we see here in our text. But the second one is this, the announcement of Jesus's birth will drive believers to the scriptures. In response to the action of John and the words of Elizabeth, confirming what the angel Gabriel had promised her, that she was the mother of the Lord, the Lord of glory, the Lord of all. Mary composes a hymn of praise as rich as any Old Testament psalm. And that's for good reason, because her hymn is in fact almost wholly Old Testament passages put together like a collage. It's not only very similar to Hannah's song that we read this morning from 1 Samuel 2, but she is quoting or alluding to Psalm 34, Habakkuk 3, Deuteronomy 10, Psalm 103, Psalm 107, Genesis 12, and I've just named a few of them. I encourage you to, to find a study Bible or a reference Bible or a concordance and, 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 and a commentary and look up all the references that Mary is alluding to or quoting from here in this song. Now, we, we don't know if she composed that song on the spot. Probably not. She probably continued to, to ponder and to meditate all that she was, was receiving from Gabriel, from Elizabeth, from her conversations with Elizabeth. But it's clear that, that she had time to meditate on the work of God and the word of God. Both the word that had been hidden in her heart from her youth and the word that she was hearing in these past several days and weeks as we read this story. Undoubtedly, she, she was filled with the, the Holy Spirit and the, she spoke these words by inspiration of the Spirit. But the Spirit uses means. And in this case, he used the means of the Bible knowledge of a teenage girl. She had grown up hearing the word read and sung. Remember, back in those days, they didn't have Bibles like we have Bibles. They didn't have books like this. Right? The, the, the Bible was recorded in, on scrolls there in the synagogues, but, but they would hear the word read. They would sing it and read it in their families. Mary, all of her life, had been hearing the scriptures 
And she was like a sponge that had been saturated with scripture so that when she was squeezed, the Bible just flowed out of her. It was said of of John Bunyan, if you've ever read Pilgrim Progress, you know this is true, that if you pricked him, he bled Bibeline. Just the Bible flowed out of John Bunyan in the same way is true of Mary. The Bible just flows out of her as she praises God, as she thanks God. So what about you? you? We've been looking at these opening sermons in the Gospel of Luke, all their rich Old Testament language and imagery and allusions and echoes. And I wonder, have they driven you back to the Bible personally? Have they driven you back even to the Old Testament? Have they made you want to know more of the scriptures? To understand more deeply what God is doing here, who Jesus is, what God is accomplishing through him. If you were pricked, what would you bleed? If you were squeezed, when you were squeezed, when trials come, what comes out of you? You see, the news of Jesus' birth, it ought to drive us back to the scriptures. It ought to to drive us and cause us to hunger for the word, to long for the word like a newborn baby longs for her mother's milk, as Peter puts it in his letter. We ought to marinate our souls in the Bible day after day after day. See, God commands us, doesn't he, to meditate on his word, Psalm 1, day and night. And he pronounces his richest blessing upon the man, the woman, the boy, the girl who does just that. You'll be like a tree firmly planted by the water side, yields its fruit in its season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever you do, it prospers. And notice, this is Mary. Again, she's a teenager, children, youth here in the sanctuary this morning. It's never too early to start reading and memorizing and meditating on the word of God. And if you're older, it's never too late. It's never too late to to, to read through the whole Bible. Some of you out there, you think, well, I've never read through the entire Bible. Make that your goal. And maybe maybe if you say, I'm going to do it in a year, you'll fail. So say, I'm going to do it in two years or three years. It doesn't matter how long it takes you to do it. The goal is to do it to read the whole scriptures, to know God's word. I fear we spend far more time scrolling through Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and Pinterest and your favorite news source than we do reading and pondering and meditating on the word of God. Those words, those images have captured our heart far more readily than the Bible has. But Mary is showing us here as she responds to the announcement of Jesus' birth, that we must be driven to the scriptures. The believer in Jesus Christ will read the Bible. The believer in Jesus Christ will respond to this this glorious good news of great joy, hungering and thirsting to understand it better, to know it more. If you read the scriptures, you will have questions. And there are elders and pastors here at this congregation that would love to interact with you about your, your questions. Go to the word. If you don't know how to start, come and talk to us. We'd love to help you to read the Bible because there's no more important book than the scriptures. Well, lastly, we see the response that at Jesus's birth announcement, 
will lead believers to God-centered, grateful praise. God-centered, grateful praise. Now this hymn, this song that Mary writes has traditionally been called the Magnificat because the, 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 that's the first word of the text of the Vulgate, the Latin translation of the New Testament made in the 300s AD. But did you notice something very odd about this song? There's not one direct word in it about Jesus, is there? There's not one direct reference to him. Why is this? The answer is that in a real sense, we are still in the Old Testament, so to speak here, aren't we? Mary's focus is on God the Father who has sent his son into the world. Mary's heart is overwhelmed with gratitude to God and she wants to magnify him, to exalt him for what he has done for her and for all of his people. There's, there's so much here. We could preach a whole sermon just on this song, but let me just briefly run through it for you so that you see the contents of Mary's God-centered, grateful praise. First, in verses 46 to 49, Mary thanks and praises God for his mercy to her individually. Look at what she says. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. He who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Mary here acknowledges that she's a sinner saved only by the grace of God. That grace that is found in Jesus, the son who is growing inside of her. She knows that she's done nothing to earn or merit or deserve the favor of God. And so she thanks God. She praises God for looking down from his exalted position to regard this humble peasant girl in her lowly social position and to give her this inestimable privilege, this unspeakable privilege of being the one who would bear and give birth to and raise the Messiah. Indeed, until Jesus comes back, every generation on earth indeed will declare that Mary is blessed. We will call her blessed because she is, but not because she somehow deserved it or earned it or, or was worthy of it or, or, or merited it. No, it's, it's all of grace. And so she thanks God for saving her and giving her this privilege. But secondly, note that she thanks and praises God for who he is and what he's done, not just for her individually, but, but in general. He's the Holy One of Israel. He's not just merciful to her, but, but from generation to generation, his mercy is upon all of his people, those who fear him. In verses 51 to 53, she praises God for, for being the divine warrior who brings salvation to his people through judgment upon their enemies. You see, judgment and salvation always go together in the scriptures and the work of God. And we get this, don't we? The way that a, when a dictator is defeated, his people that he's been oppressing all these many years are saved, they're rescued, they're delivered from him. God is the strong God who exalts the humble and humbles the exalted. That is those who are proud and exalted in their own estimation. Mary is stating in poetry what Jesus will teach later in prose, the upside down nature of God's kingdom, the great reversal in which the first become last and the last become first. When we were growing up, we had this ramp at the end of our driveway 
uh, behind our house and it was narrow, um, but it was a perfect ramp. And I think this is why my dad built it for, for, for riding our big wheels down, right, as kids. But it was so narrow that, that if you went up the ramp first, if you demanded, I'm gonna be the first one to go up, well, then you were the last one to come down because you couldn't get in front of your brother, right? And so there was this constant struggle to be the first, but then you realize, hey, wait a minute, the first will be last and the last will be first. See, that's what's going on here in this story. But Mary is speaking of the, the true and great reversal in which the prideful, rich and powerful who demand to have their independence from God are scattered and brought down and, and sent away empty. Whereas the, the humble, poor and powerless and hungry whom the prideful oppress and dominate. Those humble are exalted and filled. Now it's interesting, isn't it? All the words in this Psalm, all the verbs in that section of this song are in the past tense. It's not because God has already completed that work of upending the status quo already, but in the conception of Jesus, in what had already taken place, this mighty reversal, Mary is saying, has already taken place in principle. A fundamental shift occurred in history when, when Jesus was conceived inside Mary's womb. He was on earth. And though God's final judgment and salvation had not yet come, it must await the last day, yet it had already arrived in principle that very month. The days of the prideful were numbered. The humble would be exalted. So Mary is thanking God for what he's done for her, what, for who he is and what he's done in general. But finally, Mary thanks and praises God that he is a God who remembers. Right? If, if this were a music video, uh, the song would begin sort of zoomed in on Mary, wouldn't it? Right? On Mary and, 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 and what God had done for her individually. And then the camera would zoom out, sort of say to the, a drone lifting up over the top of a, a river and seeing all the blessing that God is accomplishing. But then in this last stanza of the song, the, the drone would zoom upstream to the source of the river. And that's what you see there in verses 54 and 55. She rejoices, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And that little phrase, in remembrance of his mercy, that's referring to God remembering his mercy, the mercy that he had promised to send. He helped his people because he recalled and remembered his mercy, not as if he forgot it, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah, I forgot I was supposed to be merciful to those people. No, no, but in the way that that we read in Exodus chapter two, when, when Israel cries out to God because of their bondage in Egypt and the text says God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God saw the sons of Israel and God took notice of them. He knew them. Here, Mary is filled with gratitude and praise because Jesus has been sent from God in mercy, in God remembering his mercy, remembering his promises to Abraham. God promised to send the seed of the woman to crush the head of the serpent, the seed of Abraham, in whom all the nations would be blessed. The seed of David, who would reign upon David's throne over all of his people and judge all of his enemies. But we know, don't we, that before Jesus came to judge, he first came into the world to be judged. 
on the cross to bear the wrath of God in the place of sinners. We know that he came as a man of sorrow, saving his people from their sins by dying in our place. He was born to die. And brothers and sisters, we who live on this side of the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus, we know even more of the goodness and grace and mercy of God than Mary did. And so our hearts ought to be filled with joy, filled with a hunger for the scriptures, filled with gratitude and praise. May the Lord enable us to respond as the believers that we are, or if you are not a believer, may he open your heart to see the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Come to Christ, respond in faith, respond in joy, respond in a love for the word, respond in grateful praise. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for Mary, for her faith. Thank you for her love of the word, her love of Jesus, her son. Now, Lord, we pray that you would help us as your people, Lord, to walk in these responses. Would you fill us with joy? Would you fill us with a hunger and a thirst for the scriptures? Would you fill us with gratitude? Oh, Lord, help us to know you. Lord, would you convert the unconverted? Would you raise up those who are humble? Would you destroy the pride of the prideful? And Lord, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.